You're listening to the free preview episode of On Belief, a podcast about cults by Karen Geyer. To hear the entire episode, go to patreon.com forward slash Karen Geyer, K-A-R-E-N-G-E-I-E-R, and sign up. It's only $5 for the entire series. On Belief is a show about true survivor stories of escaping cults and high demand groups. If that describes you and you'd like to tell your story, it can be anonymous, please email me at info at onbelief.com. Thank you to everyone who supports the work that On Belief does on Patreon. This week, we're thanking two people who are in our $20 tier. One is Jen Vultamada, and the other one is PK. So thank you to both of them. This is On Belief, a podcast about cults by Karen Geyer. Season 2, Episode 23, Acts 29, Part 1. In the world's poorest communities, life is just harder. It is hard to get a decent education, a good job, or even basic health care. Life expectancy is low, crime is high, drug and alcohol addiction is extensive, and mental health issues, abuse, and neglect are widespread. There is also something special about these communities. There is often a rich sense of community and loyalty, and many people are happy to call these communities home. However, if you live in a poor neighborhood in any part of the world, the chances are you will struggle to find a healthy church. Our greatest problem is sin, and our most urgent need is for a savior. But too often churches in poor communities preach a false gospel or no gospel at all. There are some churches in poor communities that are faithfully preaching the gospel, but quite simply, we need more. At best, leaders are ill-equipped and discouraged. Theological training is out of reach as it is unaffordable and often doesn't relate to this context. The truth is, we have a serious problem. So here in the UK and around the globe, urban poor communities lack solid, localized gospel churches. And the vast majority that do exist are either liberal and dead or irrelevant and aging. Now, there's also an imbalance in training opportunities in pastoral ministry for men and women from the projects, favelas, schemes, townships, and slums right across the world. So Church in Our Places is an Acts 29 initiative with five main objectives. Firstly, we want to provide training for leaders in poor communities. Secondly, we want to mentor these indigenous leaders. Thirdly, we want to produce culturally relevant resources to better equip those doing ministry to the poor. Fourthly, we want to mobilize Acts 29 churches support the development of leaders in poor communities. And finally, we want to prepare leaders in poor communities for assessment and integration into the Acts 29 family. Now the work has already begun. We started hosting regional workshops around the world and we've identified indigenous leaders for our apprenticeship program. For this initiative to succeed, we need to work together sacrificially, committing to drilling deep and reaching wide. So what can you do? Firstly, pray. 
Lead your churches to pray regularly for this work. Pray for these communities and those leaders and apprentices. Secondly, give. This work is dependent on support and funding from other churches, adopting a leader through training, coaching, and assessment. Finally, join. You may have a potential leader or a vision for reaching the poor in your own city. Reach out to us and we can work with you. Let's pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up workers in these poor communities as we drill deep, reach wide and plant churches where Jesus is neither named nor known. You've just been listening to a mission slash recruitment video from a group called Acts 29. Acts 29 is a Bible-based neo-Calvinist group that is larger than you might think. They consider themselves a global religion, and they claim that their numbers are growing in leaps and bounds. Here to talk about her time within the Acts 29 group is my guest, Dana. Welcome, Dana. Dana, can you explain for us what neo-Calvinism is? Calvinism, to my understanding, is the belief that everything is predestined. So, in other words, like God already knows who's going to heaven and who's not going to heaven. The that's what that's my understanding of it. That really wasn't a huge that did come up several times in conversation with the group members and the church members. We had, a, I mean, I disagree with that philosophy, but it's one of those things where I don't, you know, people are going to disagree with me and I'm going to disagree with them and that's okay. You know, we live our lives and move on. Can you describe for me what Acts 29 is? Acts 29, for people who may not be familiar, is, it's like a, it's like a new denomination of churches. So most of the time when you drive by a church, you know, you see like First Baptist blah, 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 or Methodist Hall, you know, a Kingdom Hall or something, you know, you know what denomination it is. Acts 29, I, I don't know how they, I don't know how each church determines what their, um, the title of their church is going to be, but usually when I've seen Acts 29 churches or heard about Acts 29 churches, Acts 29 is not actually in the title of the church, which is, which is different in my experience. And I've been to a lot of churches, so <laughs> most of the time that's what it is. And and the things about Acts 29 are a little vague because they are a newer denomination. But my experience with it was that, so the book of Acts, and I'm not an expert on the Bible by any means, but the book of Acts has 28 chapters, okay? And, and kind of the point, I guess, like in mainstream Christianity, that when people look at the book of Acts, they're looking at it from a perspective where, you know, we are a family, we're members of the same body. Um, there's a lot of Oh, so there's a lot of, I guess everyone has a job and does their job and you can live in a community where everyone gives their resources and everything is shared. Okay. So, and so like Acts 29 is like a continuation of the book of Acts in modern times from, from my understanding of just what I've experienced and just what, what's been said um, in those meetings. And then I've read their mission statement long ago. Um, I know that they're very, um, like, I guess, nuclear family oriented. So they believe, um, and maybe this isn't in their mission statement, but 
in the church I went to, it was a lot of like, get married, have children type of things. And that's neither here nor there. I mean, that's just the way that the group came together. I'm not sure if that's, uh, it just attracted people who were like that, or I'm not really sure. But I don't fall into that category. (laughs) So I didn't exactly, and not that anyone purposefully excluded me, but I wasn't a part of the, I guess, the main structure of the church, if you want to say. So a lot of times they would have like kids stuff and I don't have children. So it's kind of like I'm not going to just show up with all my kids and like, hey, guys, you know. So. <laughs> so what is the belief system of Acts 29? I think that it's pretty similar to any other church where um, they believe that uh, there's a problem with human nature. I'll just be very general. There's a problem with human nature and that we are in conflict with God. And so we need an intermediary and that intermediary was Jesus and he died for our sins. That's basically what it is. I would say that, like you mentioned before, the Calvinist thing, that's, that's pretty different. I mean, that's, you know, the belief that everybody is already saved or not saved, uh, you know, they're determined this by birth, but there's no way for us to know who's saved and not saved kind of a thing. That was like really unclear to me. Um, That stood out to me. Because like I said, I've been to many churches and uh, most churches that I've been to haven't had that belief. But that's not to say that outside of my understanding there, that isn't more widespread. That could have just been my experience. A lot of family oriented things. um, A lot of, you know, the church is your family and you're safe with your family. You can, you know, if you need money, somebody would probably give you money. And I've seen a lot of generosity come from that, um, from people, uh, genuinely, um, if people needed help, they're more than happy to help. And they, you know, they made it private. They didn't make a public spectacle of it. You know, they just helped because their belief was, you know, this is my brother, my sister. I, I'm going to help them out of the love in my heart. Um, so that was a great thing. I guess if you just walked in to this church, you would say, wow, people are very friendly. They're very kind. They're very welcoming. I would almost describe some of it as like a Southern hospitality. And I don't live in the South of, in the, in the United States, I mean, um, I, I don't live in the South. And so it just seemed to me like there was a lot of nurturing, a lot of, you know, oh, come and come over and have dinner. So let's talk about your experience. What made you get interested in and then involved in Acts 29? I've always been somebody, this is just, uh, kind of a side note, I've always been somebody that's questioned a lot of things. Um, I grew up in a house where my parents were very different in what they believed and how they saw the world. I mean, like religiously, politically, everything really. Um, and they're still married. I mean, and they're, they're great parents. They loved me. Um, one thing that I feel that, I mean, they may not even be aware of this. One thing that I felt was a little lacking was that because my parents were so different, I had a lot of questions, you know, and, um, one of my parents is very stringent in their, in their belief system or what they've chosen as this is what is what it is. And I felt that I could not go to this parent or if I mentioned anything that was contradictory to what this parent believed that, you know, well, I'll just say my dad, he would get very upset. I mean, Anytime anyone brought up anything to do with religion or spirituality, I mean, it was like he he got angry. And I saw him and my mom at a very young age in arguments. My mom is a Christian. My dad's an atheist. And um, 
they weren't disrespectful or abusive towards one another. I don't recall that at all. I just recall them having very passionate conversations. And I remember my mom was very, it just came for, it was, it would be crying. And then my dad would say, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, this is ridiculous what you're believing. You have to show me some evidence. Right. And so like, as a very young child, it was confusing because I go to church and they would say one thing and then I would come home and I'd ask my dad and he'd be like, well, God doesn't exist. <laughs> so I was like, what reality, you know, as I grew, I just, I, I never felt resentment towards my parents. Like I said, they were very loving parents. They're a great team. And in a lot of ways, I feel like I had the best of both worlds because I was able to, in my own mind, you know, kind of explore what I thought. Um, and, and when I was about 14, I just, I was like, you know what, whatever the truth is, is what I'll accept. You know, I see some things in my mom that she's not able to answer. My dad has a point, you know, she's not able to answer these questions, but also the response of somebody who says that they even believe in a higher power is met with like, well, that person's a total idiot. You know, that, that doesn't make me want to ask you like, Hey dad, like, why do you, why do you feel that way? Like, what, what's the deal? You know, I could never ask those things. And I always felt also that anytime I would question that or ask, I would kind of feel like, Ooh, like the hammer might drop on me somehow. Like this isn't okay to ask this of this person. So I just kept those questions inside and they built and they built and they built. Okay. And then, um, you know, I became a young adult. I went to college. I met, um, someone who, I would be in a relationship with, we moved to an area where we were both very far away from our family. Uh, anyone we knew things kind of got bad. They got, um, to the point where I decided, you know, this isn't a safe situation for me. Um, that's a long story, which I won't get into, but I ended up leaving that relationship. We were actually, we actually had gotten married and then I was like, you know, Oh no, now I'm, now I'm d this divorced person, you know? So, and that was right around the time when this church kind of came into my life. And I, through that experience of getting a divorce, I realized that there are some behaviors in myself that I had not addressed. And also some things about this other person where I had ignored. Um, and so without a whole lot of guidance, I mean, my family and my friends were there for me. Uh, they, they live quite a, quite a ways away, but they were, you know, the ones that were, I really felt like stuck with me, really checked in with me. So I didn't feel I was high and dry. However, some of the relationships that I made where I'm currently staying were not healthy because they were from kind of a, I guess, I mean, I, I'm to be, to be frank, I was like kind of an enabler, kind of, uh, I have to be a good person. So that means I need to, um, put up with this behavior or make excuses for people's behavior. Um, I'm not always compassionate, but if people have been through something, I kind of give them a little leeway because they're still trying to work out their stuff too. And a lot of times that went too far. So then, so here's my marriage, like broken up. So a lot of our mutual friends ended up, we just kind of drifted apart because they had known us as a couple and now it's awkward for them. You know, that's neither here nor there. And then some of my personal, my personal friendships, I realized were built on this. Oh, I have to, um, you know, care about this person and, and that's okay if they're treating me this way because they're hurting too. So I actually had a couple of friendships break apart. I had to find out what my boundaries were and say, you know what, Hey, this hurt my feelings. And, you know, based on the reactions of some of those people, I just couldn't have them in my life anymore. So here I am like, 
newly single, like in this place where like my entire life is breaking apart. And one of my good friends um, who did live here at the time was like, Hey, I have this, you know, I know you've had questions about the Bible and God and faith and everything. I know somewhere where I've had a lot of my questions answered um, and everyone's really nice and they will go through it with you and you can ask questions. And I was like, great. You know, so we walk into this place and um, it wasn't a church building. They were renting a space and it was, so it was very small congregation. And I mean, I remember this woman walked up to me and was like, hi. And she just gave me a hug and she's like, think and genuinely was like, we're really glad you're here. Like we are, we are just looking for people to, you know, be in a family and hang out and, whatever. And your friend tells me that you're, um, that you guys are in school together and that's great. And you know, why don't you just come over? And I was like, Whoa, this is awesome. Like, this is what I'm looking for. And so then the, the sermon started and the pastor was like going through, I I believe it was Genesis at the time. And I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember thinking that this is really nice that he's actually explaining what he's meaning, you know, or what his perspective is on this, because in the past, you know, my mom and I, and To unlock the rest of this episode, visit patreon.com forward slash K-A-R-E-N-G-E-I-E-R. It's only $5 to unlock over 20 hours of content.